0: The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. There is a true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one. Who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus.
1: So we've come to that point in our series this summer to uh, the man who's mentioned most in all of the scriptures, David. Um, To talk about his life would be a monumental task um, in a course of a month, let alone today. And so I don't want to... Look at his whole life. I'm assuming that most of you know his story. How this young boy who um, was the youngest of, of eight boys, who was not necessarily impressive in um, his physical appearance, although the scripture said he was a nice-looking kid, who out of the blue, this shepherd boy, uh, all of a sudden one day the prophet of God shows up at his family's home and says, somewhere in this house is the next king of Israel. Saul had been the first king of Israel. Remember the, the children of Israel had looked around at all the other countries and as they've come through ups and downs and God's given them land and then they've, they've given some of it back and the story of judges is just one of ups, highs and lows and mostly defeat. And they look around and they say, you know what, if we just had a king Maybe if we just had somebody among us who was a king, we would be able to experience the success God wants for us. God had never planned for them to have a king. But he said, you know what? If that's what you want, so Saul became the king. But obviously Saul, um, if you know his story just a little bit, it's one of the saddest stories in all the scripture. I mean, what a promising, promising start. And um, along the way, Saul became distracted from what was his mission he became distracted from what god had called him to do and it was obvious saul had never ever really anchored his life in a relationship with god and so when things got tough when big decisions were uh to be made he resorted to his own wisdom and his own understanding and made terrible decisions it became so bad that it was obvious god said i've got to get another king and so the prophet shows up at, at David's house and this young boy is anointed king of Israel. That's how we're introduced to him. It's, it follows that a, just a short time later, this story that we've reenacted this morning happens. How this young boy, anointed king, becomes a giant slayer, right? It's the ultimate underdog story, Um, david against goliath and david fighting with just one stone so to speak and david goes from unknown humble um, obscure young man to all of a sudden he's the hero for the whole country it it turns into a a chance to to live in the uh, in the in the the king's court and the palace so to speak and and david is a rising star and yet his star is shining so bright that Saul the king becomes insanely jealous because they would sing around the country, Saul has slain thousands, but David had sl- has slain ten thousands. And Saul, who was an insecure, dysfunctional man, Uh, couldn't handle it and he becomes so insanely jealous that we see that David's life takes this turn where he lives for years as a fugitive the hero the guy who exercises bold faith when no one else will the guy who stands up to the giant and slays the giant spends years all of basically most of his 20s on the run a fugitive from Saul We see that at 30 years old, Saul finally dies. David becomes a king. And for the next 40 years... David leads the children of Israel, the people of Israel, to its greatest years. They become unrivaled in their success, in their prosperity. This little country in the Middle East becomes the envy of the whole world as David ascends to the throne and becomes this great king who, who uh, rules wisely, who rules with justice, who is uh, fair but is strong and is relying on God and, and letting God lead him as he leads this, this nation. And they absolutely take off. It's the greatest years they've ever experienced. They always look back to those years. And David's life is one of a nobody, nobody noticed to the greatest king Israel had ever had. To the guy who Jesus Christ himself, I will come through the line of David and the kingdom that he started, I will finish. I will establish forever an everlasting kingdom from that little kingdom that David established and got started. This guy is the guy who most of us can uh, can relate to because as he His life is just like an open book to us in the scriptures. We see so much of David's life as something that we can identify with. This guy who had unparalleled success, this king who ruled so wisely and honored God in so many ways is the same king who in moments of weakness and in moments where his character was flawed in certain ways, acted in ways that were um, that were awful. This is the same guy, King David, who was responsible for taking another man's wife and then killing that man. I mean, he's got on his profile adulterer and murderer, complicit in murder. This is the man who Who uh, at times, uh, God would bless, but yet he still would revert back a little bit to he's not sure. And so he would do things like God would tell him, David, I don't want you to care about how many people you have. Don't count the people. It doesn't matter uh, because it's never mattered with me. It can be 300 with Gideon or it can be people walking around a wall at Jericho. It's never mattered. Don't start trusting in how many people and chariots. Don't count the people and yet, David, in a moment of insecurity, would have him count the people in God. It was also the man who, um, honestly, he is one of the worst fathers you'll ever read about. This man of God was a terrible parent. He was a permissive parent, is what the scripture says. He, he, he did not know how to discipline his kids and he had no idea how to raise his kids, and therefore his family, if you read his story, in the middle of all this success, his family is so dysfunctional that finally it comes to such a point that they didn't respect him, that one of the sons rises up and tries to take over the throne from David, and he tries to kill his own father. Actually, another son later would try to overthrow the throne and take it for his own. This man is a man that... um through the midst of all of those those years the highs and the lows he would write about it in what we know as the Psalms right and that is where so many of us find encouragement and comfort as we read David pouring his heart out to God as he lives through tremendous success as he lives through unbelievable lows we identify with that this man called David And you know what, it would be way too much time to go over his life, like go through it. But I just want to remind you before I look at one instance in his life, some life lessons I think that we can grab onto from David. One is um, David David, uh, teaches us that even the best are far from perfect. You and I should take comfort in that today because I know that when you look at your life, and I look at mine, we realize there are shortcomings, there's failures, there's, uh, there's uh, <clears throat> parts of our lives that we just, we're just we not happy with. We realize we've fallen short, and um, you know maybe we've not met up to expectations that we, we feel like uh, we have, and God is, is expected of us or has for us. And I would remind you that the scriptures in David's life in particular teaches us that even the best, Are far from perfect. You see, David is the only man that the scriptures say was a man after God's own heart. I mean, that is high level, that is high praise. And even the best are far from perfect. And when we look at David's life, we're reminded that even in the midst of our failure, even in the midst of uh, blowing it or messing up or taking the easy road or taking a shortcut here, that God will still love us and call to us and he'll still forgive and restore us and he'll use us even as he used David who has on his, on his profile murderer, adulterer, uh, other things. The best of us are far from perfect. Second thing David's life reminds us of is transparency draws closer. What do I mean by that? Well, you can't open the Psalms and begin to read David's writings and you realize that there is a depth, a level with God that is sometimes startling. It's David who is writing, God, you are unfair. God, you are not just. God you are going back on this. You're like, whoa, this guy's talking to God. And it is true that in the Psalms especially, we get inside David's relationship with God and we see that all the doubts and all the fears that he would have, all the questions he would have about God, he knew that he could take them before God and he could have this interaction with God about what he felt like was wrong or unjust. And inevitably, God shows us through the life of David that God wants and invites us to seek him with our whole heart, to be honest and open before him with everything. I'm shocked the amount of people who never open up their heart to God about why this happened or how unfair this is or how unjust this is. And David models for that for us and shows us that a deepening relationship with God is a transparent one where God invites us to just unburden our whole heart before him, to wrestle, so to speak, with those questions and those perplexities that we might have. David models that for us, and in the middle of that, God always would bring an answer to David's heart. He would always remind him of what David needed to see, and David always walked away realizing that, no, it's not true. God is not unfair, and God is not unjust, even though the circumstances at this time might lend itself to believe that. God or David shows us that transparency draws closer. the last thing is is this God is beyond gracious David's life should remind us that God is he is beyond gracious I mean David had everything was given everything and time not time after time but repeated times just would step in it big time I mean just would blow it Sometimes to the point where if you and I were God, I'm pretty sure we'd have started with somebody else. And yet God is so beyond. He is beyond gracious. And how he responded, was patient, and acted toward David. And it reminds us that that's exactly the character and the nature of our God with his children. He is beyond, beyond gracious gracious. But there's one thing that I think is a microcosm for what does it mean to live like David lived. To be a man or a woman after God's heart. That's David's um, that's, that's David's That's his line. That's who he is. And how how do we identify with that? What can we see about that? And it has to do with that period of the years where David is a fugitive in his 20s, when he should have been establishing his home, when he should have been building his career, when he should have been moving toward that plan God had for his life in his 20s. Instead, he is running for his life each and every day. He is a fugitive, the king of Israel, the anointed king the giant slayer is instead living in caves one night and then another cave the next night he's hiding from Saul day in and day out week in and week out year in and year out And it's in those years that some of his greatest psalms he wrote, I mean, he writes words that are just, um, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit all day long. They press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. And it reminds us in those psalms as he pours out his heart to God that uh, God is always, always with us, even in the midst of our deepest and darkest nights. And he would write things like, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And he reminds us, what can mere mortals do to me? And we see through those years that God would always sustain David. Even as he's a a fugitive, God had his hand on him. He would protect him. Twice David had the opportunity as he's running from Saul. Twice they came in close enough uh, proximity to one another that David had an opportunity to kill Saul. And David did not. He, he just shows us how much God was a part of his life, that his enemy who was trying to kill him, he refused to kill. Remember the one time, the first time, um, David, he's got a, a, a 400 men that had uh, come together and joined him as he was a fugitive. They themselves were fugitives. They were a motley crew and they joined up with David and they just moved around escaping Saul. And One of those stories was they had Saul with thousands of men in his army had gotten close to them and they had escaped up into a cave and Saul, uh, we read, uh, uh, is in that that area and Saul has to go to the bathroom. Um, The scriptures don't talk a lot about that you know but this is one of those times and it says Saul goes up to the cave to go to the bathroom um I don't know what you call it um but I'm pretty sure he was doing his business you know if you can read between the lines and little did he know that as he's at the mouth of the cave I'm not going to act that out for you I don't know why I never started to squat, but um, just subconsciously. He has no clue that just feet away from him in the darkness are 400 men with swords. And they actually tell David, this is your chance. God has given you your enemy. I mean, he is in a vulnerable position. And David refuses because he knows God has got his hand on him. And he's not going to do things the wrong way because he knows God's going to take him if he lives the right way, take care of him. That's what these years look like. But you know what? David is like all of us. There came a point year in and year out through these 20s that he got tired, that he got weary of doing the right Thing, of living the right way. He got tired of life not working out exactly how it should. He got weary and frustrated and even angry that he's on the run when he had done nothing wrong. He got to a point where his expectations of what life should like should look like We're not being met. And David, the anointed king, the giant killer, the guy whose God is sustaining even in the midst of being a fugitive, has one of those moments. And that moment turned into a 16-month period of his life that I think that probably you and I can identify with. Because here's what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 27 and verse 1. You see, David is angry, he's isolated, he's afraid. And God has been faithful, but for whatever reason, as it happens to all of us, he must have just had one of those days. I don't know if it was a day or if it was a period of weeks, or all of a sudden, this is what we read in David's story. David says this, David, but David thought to himself. One of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. The Philistines, you recognize them, right? Goliath, arch enemies of Israel. The best thing I can do is go be with my adversaries. Then then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. And in that moment, David begins to this, this series of thinking and then actions that totally cause him to take a detour in his life. Look look at that verse for me. David thought to himself. This is the guy who he kills Goliath in the first interview that he's given. He's saying, listen, I didn't do it. God did it it's never been me it's always been about God this is the guy who always was writing about God singing about God relying depending on God whose eyes were always on God and all of a sudden he allows his focus and his his thoughts to fall from looking to God to looking around And he's starting to have conversations with himself. You ever do that? Talk to yourself? Come on, do you do it out loud? You ever had somebody walk in on you? Those are embarrassing moments. I've definitely had that happen more than once. Um, Yeah, I don't know. He's in that world where he begins to adopt a humanistic viewpoint He's no longer looking up, he's looking around. And his focus, his attention becomes fixated on his circumstances. He starts thinking to himself. You know what begins to happen? It's in this period of time that you don't hear about David praying. He doesn't write any psalms in this period of his life. His mind has been captivated by his circumstances. And in that, he begins to just entertain his own thoughts. What happens with that? Well, naturally, as you begin to think to yourself, you begin captivated by your circumstances, he begins to think this way. One of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. He goes from human viewpoint to pessimistic thinking. It's what naturally happens with us as human beings. The minute we begin to be captivated by our surroundings, we inevitably become pessimistic people. He begins to formulate his own view of the future. He totally forgets all of the promises and the victories God has given him. He totally forgets that he was anointed by God's prophet to be the next king. He totally forgets that everybody around him sees this and knows this. Even Saul himself has looked at David and says, surely you are the next king. And all he can see, because he's captivated by his present circumstances, is that he is going to be destroyed by his enemy. And he forgets the promises and the hand of God on his life. I'm looking around, not looking up. I begin to fall into this negative mindset. And where does that lead him? It leads him to begin to rationalize in himself. And he decides this. He decides that the best thing I can do is to escape to my enemies, to my adversaries, the Philistines. If I do that, Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and i will slip out of his hands. And David begins down this road. Because he's angry, because he's isolated, because he's afraid. He allows those things to captivate his mind, to seize his mind, and out of that he starts down this road. When we read the story of David is the king of Israel, the giant killer, the biggest threat to the Philistines goes and lives with the Philistines. And he becomes a servant to the Philistines. That was never God's plan for his life. That is never where God wanted him to live and to be. A servant to the people that God had already promised victory over and we see through the next couple chapters of Saul's life or David's life that he does this, he lives this, and quite frankly he becomes a little bit shady. He becomes dishonest. He lives in the lands of the Philistines and he begins to live like the Philistines. Now, I'm not trying to take this too far, but the Bible does always there's a sense of symbolism. And there's a, sim, uh, there's, a, there's a sense where uh, Egypt represents our life in slavery. Well, guess what? The land of the Philistines is never God's will for our life. The, it's the idea of living in the world, following the ways of the world. Not being in the plan and the will. And David does that. He reacts to his present circumstances that begins to distort his thinking that then shapes his decision making and all of a sudden he is living a life that God never intended for him. And we would read that it gets so bad, it gets so bad that David becomes even willing or it seems to be willing to fight against the Israelites to help the Philistines to protect himself. Now he never does but he's gotten to a point where he's in in like murky, murky water. His life is so vague. His life is without commitment his life is full of compromise and it comes to a point in first samuel chapter 30 that even the philistines throw him out and he becomes a man the anointed king of israel the greatest king israel ever saw becomes a man with no affiliation nobody the israelites the philistines nothing and in fact the group of men that he had with him, they, they, are, they go away to meet the Philistine army to help them. And meanwhile, a group of people come in and take everything that he has, including all, his, all their wives and their children. And we would come to a point in 1 Samuel chapter 30 where we would read this. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I would remind you that this is exactly the picture when we decide to walk the way of the Philistines. When we decide, maybe it's because of anger, maybe isolation, or maybe fear, we decide to walk away from the plan and the will of God and depending and trusting in God. And and even though our circumstances might not be what we thought they were going to be or they're not where we know they're going to be, this is literally the life of mailing it in and quitting on God and just doing your own thing. And this is where it always ends. Always ends. It ends up with you and I Somewhere alone, weeping and lost and broken until we feel like we have nothing left. And this is an amazing picture, chapter of David's life. The man after God's own heart. Because he responded to the way things were now, he ends up so far, so much worse off. And yet we would read in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse six, these words. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because they had lost their sons and their daughters. I mean, David's gotten to the point where not only is he a man without a country, his own men are getting ready to kill him. And then there's this phrase. But David found strength in the Lord his God. And for the first time in 16 months, David remembers whose he is. And he remembers the God who he's walked away from. And he remembers that that God is the one who unconditionally loves him and has always called him to turn back. He's the God who quickly will restore and forgive, <laughs> and David turns to him. This is why David is a man after God's own heart. And this is why Saul falls on his sword and is one of the saddest stories ever. When Saul blew it, Saul did not turn back to God in repentance and did not understand the restoring love of God. David blows it, but he understands the love and the forgiveness that God offers. You see, it's within a a few months of this moment where his own men are ready to stone him and he's literally at the end. He's done his own thing, he's turned his own way, he's not trusted God, he's not committed He's mailed it in, so to speak. It's a few months after this, God, I'm here, I really messed up. Within a few months, he becomes the king of Israel. And that 40-year reign starts. And this is what I think you and I need to clue in about David, all of the things in his life. David models for us this idea of when you failed, of when you've not lived up to what you know to be right and what God is calling you to, when you've acted out irrationally or selfishly, and maybe you've created a mess. Maybe you're just just overcome with guilt and condemnation. David models for us what we should do. You see, he cries out to God here, and God restores. He becomes king. As he's king... He creates or he commits the great sin with Bathsheba and kills Uriah. And he's confronted about that. And when he sees how great his sin was, and in Psalm 51, we're reminded of how he responds then. He says words like this Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love and according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, pure heart, O oh God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is what David models above everything else. And this is what it ends up being a part, a big part of what it means to be a man after God's own heart. is when you've blown it, when you've failed. Where I come from, we use the phrase when you've stepped in it. It's a good farm term. Instead of just staying there, instead of wallowing in it, Instead of it creating a despair and a hopelessness, instead of it creating, being the catalyst for then just repeated failures, and a slide into a life that you just don't wanna have. David models that when confronted by our own failure, that we can turn to a God who loves a God who forgives and a God who restores. And I don't have any doubt this morning that I'm talking to people who there's areas of your life you just, you would say there's failure. Or maybe I'm talking to somebody today who just say, you know what, quite honestly, I'm just a failure. I am not at all what I know God is calling me to be who God wants me to be or maybe it's somebody who would say you know just this area of my life I just I keep compromising on it I want to do the right thing but I just and I'm just going to be honest I just mailed it in there and I am such a failure and I live with it I know it it frames my thinking, colors my outlook. I would just remind you, would you follow David? What he modeled is what we're to model. And it's what God wants us to do. Would you just throw your hands up? Would you just recognize and own? I, I blew it. I'm not, I'm, I'm a failure. And would you allow God's forgiveness and his love to wash over your life? And would you allow him to restore you? I'll pick you up. Set you back up. Because David reminds us that's what God does. And he goes from being almost stoned to being the king within a shoe of few short months would you pray with me this morning Father we just need that reminder that our failures do not have to be final and David shows us he was far from perfect even though he was the best among us the thing that set him apart from others is when he failed, he sought your forgiveness and your love and he allowed you to restore him. And Lord, that's a model for us. That's an example that you put in scripture for us to learn from. To know about you, that you're a God who doesn't kick us when we're down or leave us in our failure but you're a God who forgives and restores. And so Lord, I pray for that one or those today that needed to be reminded of this. Their failure is not final with God. And that you quickly and readily want to forgive us to make us new. Lord, help those that need this today to grab a hold of that to claim that, to believe that, and to open their heart to you. Thank you, God. You were faithful to David, and as faithful you are to David, you are as faithful to us. And we take confidence in that today. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.